Hi, I'm Grant Armstrong, and I get to serve as directing pastor here at St. John's United Methodist Church in Edwardsville, Illinois. We exist to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. Our desire is to be a beacon of faith and service, focusing our passions and gifts to reflect Christ's love to the world. You are invited to join us each week at 9 a.m. for a time of traditional worship or at 11 a.m. for contemporary worship. Thanks for joining us for this online version of the sermon. Scripture reading from today comes from 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 4 through 11. Anyone who teaches something different is arrogant and lacks understanding. Such a person has an unhealthy desire to quibble over the meaning of words. This stirs up arguments ending in jealousy, division, slander, and evil suspicions. These people always cause trouble. Their minds are corrupt, and they have turned their backs on the truth. To them, a show of godliness is just a way to become wealthy. Yet true godliness, with contentment, is itself great wealth. After all, we brought nothing with us when we came into the world, and we can't take anything with us when we leave it. So if we have enough food and clothing, let us be content. But people who long to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people, craving money, have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. But you, Timothy, are a man of God, so run from all these evil things. Pursue righteousness and a godly life, along with faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. This is the word of the Lord. Every once in a while, one of my kids will complain to me about having to do PE, physical education. They'll talk about how hard their PE teacher will make them work, how far they had to run, how exhausting it was, and I sympathize. I remember sometimes feeling similarly when I was their age, but at this stage of life, I will occasionally think about how helpful it would be to have somebody demand that I spend 40 minutes a day pushing my body to work harder, move faster, and lift more. I would love, I would love it if I could have the physical strength that I had when I was 18 years old, and it would be especially great, and I mean really, really great, if that could come to me through no effort at all on my part. The only problem, however, is that's not usually how worthwhile goals work. It turns out, not only do I fail to gain ground with my health by doing nothing, I'm at a stage now where my failure to act causes my health to decline. There is a metabolic creep that has happened. Anybody identify with the metabolic creep? So now I don't get healthier by wishing about it, or by thinking about it, or by talking about it. I can't just watch other people exercise for a couple of reasons. One, it's not effective, and two, that's kind of creepy. I can't just learn about getting healthier. It turns out in order to gain the ground I'd like to gain, I have to actively pursue it. Our faith functions similarly. Holding still is not an option. There is a value creep that happens over time. If we're not actively pursuing godliness, it's like hoping to go up a downward-moving escalator. And the Apostle Paul was warning his young apprentice Timothy about that kind of value creep in this letter. And that leads to our first lesson this morning. Greed is a virus that corrupts other values. Greed is a virus that corrupts other values. Paul's saying anyone who teaches something different is arrogant and lacks understanding. 
Such a person has an unhealthy desire to quibble over the meaning of words. This stirs up arguments ending in jealousy, division, slander, and evil suspicions. These people always cause trouble. Their minds are corrupt, and they have turned their backs on the truth. To them, a show of godliness is just a way to become wealthy. During my time as a hospital chaplain, I was having a conversation with a man who was in the intensive care unit. He was there under federal surveillance. He had been discovered by the housekeeping staff of a local hotel after having attempted suicide. He tried to kill himself because he was about to face federal charges for mail fraud, having swindled a couple of hundred people over $6 million through a Ponzi scheme. His efforts started out modestly, maybe They even started out honestly, but his debts increased. And in order to pay his debts, he sought other investors, and eventually he was just paying out enough to investors to keep up appearances, but he was pocketing some of the money and paying off his heavy debt load with the rest. His wife was unknowingly caught up in it. He was facing several years in prison and a very, very hefty restitution, and as he was overwhelmed by the dim prospects of his regrettable actions, He thought that it would be better to end it all. End it all because greed entered in and perverted his desire to provide for his family and maybe just have some nice things. It took control. And because greed was calling the shots, everything this man had was turning to dust. That's what greed does. Paul was noticing that in the community of Christians and pointed it out to Timothy. He wanted people to be generous in character. It was necessary for leaders in the church to be full of integrity and free from greed. He wanted to make sure that the Jewish believers were being gracious and welcoming to the Gentile or the non-Jewish Christian believers. He wanted people to be generous with Timothy and appreciate the gifts that he offered in service to Christ's people, not thinking less of him because he was young. He wanted people to be open-handed and respectful to elders and widows servants, and employers. And he knew, Paul knew, that greed could jeopardize all of that. Greed is a weed. And by its very nature, it always wants more. Greed turns even virtues into vices. Love, poisoned by greed, turns manipulative and objectifying. Joy tainted with greed becomes hedonism and unchecked desire for good feelings. Peace, touched by greed, becomes stifling, controlling dissent even violently. Greed wants more and more control over everything. Not just money, but greed definitely wants more money. When greed is asked how much is enough, greed always answers just a little bit more. For greed, there is no such thing as enough. That leads to our second lesson from this morning's scripture. That's this, contentment is a decision more than a feeling. Contentment is a decision more than a feeling. Paul continues writing, yet true godliness with contentment is itself great wealth. After all, we brought nothing with us when we came into the world, and we can't take anything with us when we leave it. So if you have enough food and clothing, let us be content. An investment banker was vacationing off a small coastal village when a boat with just one fisherman docked Inside the small boat were several very large tuna, and the banker complimented the fisherman on the quality and quantity of his catch and asked how long it took to catch them. The fisherman responded, just a little while. The banker then asked why he didn't stay out longer to catch more fish. The fisherman said he had enough to support his family's immediate needs. The banker said, 
what do you do with the rest of your time? Fisherman said, I sleep late. I fish a little. I play with my children. I take a nap and then stroll into the village in the evening with my wife where I sip wine, play guitar with my friends. I have a full and busy life. The banker scoffed. Listen, I am a Harvard MBA. I could help you. You should spend more time fishing, and then with the proceeds, you could buy a bigger boat. And with the proceeds from the more fish you catch then, you could buy several boats. Eventually, listen, you will have a fleet of boats. Instead of selling your catch to a middleman, you could sell directly to a processor, eventually opening your own cannery. Can you imagine? You would control the product, the processing, and distribution. Of course, you would need to leave your little village and move to a bigger city then maybe to L.A., and eventually to New York City, where you would run your expanding enterprise. The fisherman said, well, how long would that take? The banker said, well, 15 to 20 years. But what then? The banker laughed and said, that's the best part. When the time is right, you would announce your IPO and sell your company stock to the public and become a very rich man. You would make millions. Millions, asked the fisherman. Then what? The banker said, well, then you would retire. Move to a small coastal village where you could sleep late, fish a little, play with your kids, take a nap, and then stroll into the village in the evening to play guitar and sip wine with your friends. If you've ever been to a Jimmy John's, that's actually written on the wall there. That's a lot of wisdom for a fast food restaurant wall. What if we take stock of what God has provided for us and find that it's really pretty great? Bigger isn't necessarily a bad thing but it's also not necessarily better. Maybe it's just bigger. Bigger and more doesn't guarantee happiness. Here's where we have a choice. We can choose to be content. We get to choose to be faithful with what God has entrusted to us. And as a matter of fact, Jesus makes a point of that when he was telling a story of a shrewd steward. And after telling the parable in Luke 16, Jesus says, if you're faithful in little things you will be faithful in large one, but if you're dishonest in little things, you won't be honest with greater responsibilities. Increase should not be our goal. Faithfulness and pleasing God should be our goal. And if we are faithful, there's a possibility, and it's not a guarantee, but there is a possibility that God will entrust more to us for the sake of stewarding his gifts well. Say you're given a billion dollars, and your goal is to make certain that people know the love of God and everyone has what they need. You see some people who have stacks on stacks on stacks and they use it for their own personal gain. And then you see others, regardless of what they possess, and they use what they have to show love and share hospitality. Again, if it is your goal to make certain people know the love of God and then that all their needs are met, to whom do you entrust more of your incredible wealth? It would be to the one who is pursuing your passion, right? Because... They've proven faithful with whatever amounts. You have reason to believe that they will do likewise when they are entrusted with more. How many of you have ever heard the term Parkinson's Law? You ever heard of Parkinson's Law? You've probably seen the effects. Basically, simply put, work expands so as to fill the time available for its completion. Work expands so as to fill the time available for its completion. If you have a week to complete something, no matter how simple the task, the task will take a week. It applies to other things as well. Our possessions will fill the space available to store them. Our expenses will increase to the amount of income available to cover them. 
We often think things like building savings and increasing generosity come when we make enough money. But if we already spend whatever we make, however, Parkinson's law tells us that no amount of money will ever be enough money unless unless we decide to break Parkinson's law, unless we decide that we have enough now to do the good things that God calls each of us to do. But that doesn't happen accidentally. And that leads to our third lesson from this morning's scripture. Pursuing God is not a passive process. Pursuing God is not a passive process. Paul continues, but people who long to be rich fall into temptation and they're trapped in many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. But you, Timothy, are a man of God, so run from all these evil things. Pursue righteousness and a godly life, along with faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. Henry Ford once said, Money doesn't change people. It merely unmasks them. If a person is naturally selfish or arrogant or greeting, the money brings that out, that's all. Even though some tradition and legend that we don't find in Scripture tells us that Timothy would eventually be elevated to the responsibilities of a bishop, he was probably never going to be wealthy or powerful in ways that we imagine. I mean, at that time, nobody had running water, flush toilets, or climate control anywhere. So even their rich was not terribly rich by our standards. Timothy was an overseer in a church under persecution. As a matter of fact, again, legend around Timothy's death describes how he tried to stop a parade for a pagan Roman goddess by preaching salvation through Christ, and the crowd got so angry that they beat him and threw stones at him until he died. So great wealth was probably not a huge risk for Timothy. But abandoning his faith and calling in exchange for something easier and more lucrative, very well could have been. This young man had clear gifts. He was obviously a capable leader and communicator based on the responsibility and ministry that Paul entrusted to him. In today's language, we might say that Timothy had marketable skills. I'm guessing that he could have found work in, line, in a line that was at least a little bit less likely to result in mockery, persecution, poverty, and beatings. And if he would have stepped away, or even run away from the calling, he would have experienced grief for his whole life. Because that's not who he was. No matter what he was doing vocationally, Timothy was a man of God. He had, been a, had he been a craftsman or a farmer or a shepherd, whatever path God had set before him, people would have seen his Christ-like integrity. He was an ambassador for the body of Christ, regardless of whether or not he was serving a church. He just happened to lead a church, trusting and serving Christ. Those things were his first priority. Prioritizing our faith can be difficult. If you don't show up for a few Sundays, we're likely going to send out a letter asking that you're okay, but nobody's going to mark you down a grade. If you're not studying the Bible, we might try and offer a couple, three more different studies that might work with your schedule and your life, but nobody here is going to call the cops if you don't attend. If you're not giving a tenth of your income, nobody from stewardship is going to come out like Dog the Bunny Hunter to your house and repo your car. This is all voluntary. Church is not a hostage situation. I hope you're here and a part of the body of Christ because you're pursuing righteousness and a godly life like what Paul describes. 
that you're chasing after faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. It's a workout, and it can be demanding, but if we're not getting in our workout, faith doesn't grow. Greed or apathy can creep in and edge out those things that we really want in our lives, and that I believe that God desires in our lives. I hope you're here because you know that Jesus Christ has a love for you that is greater than you can imagine. Because you know that he laid down his life to set you free from everything that would hold you back from experiencing a life that is true, abundant, and eternal. Maybe you're here because you're so overwhelmed by the goodness of God that you don't know anything else that you can do besides praise, serve, love, and be grateful. If that's even close to the case, ultimately, when greed tries to creep in, we run from it. When God wants to be a greater part of your life, we run to him and we keep running because he's running to us as well. Would you pray with me? Gracious Lord, grace is all a gift from you. There is nothing that we can do to earn it. Growth is how we respond to that grace. Help us respond by pursuing your love, by pursuing your kindness, by experiencing greater depths of your goodness and adventure and joy. Lord, when, when greed, when apathy try to creep into our lives, Help us flee from that. Help us to have clarity of mind, to know that we want no part of it. And help us to run to you instead. You are a Father who loves us so dearly. You will provide for our every need, just as you have to this very moment. So we thank you. We offer ourselves in grateful response. God, find us faithful with what you have set before us. And Lord, we pray. We pray that it would be for your glory. We offer all of this with gratitude in Christ's name. Amen.